0: When you're serious about the game of basketball, it can consume your life. When we let a sport shape our identity, we become empty when we're outside the game. The danger's not in trying to find success in our sport, but it's when we let the success in our sport define who we are. I'm Matt Espinoza, welcome to the Player's Podcast. Today's guest is Grayson Boucher, better known as The Professor. Grayson became world-known at the age of 19 when he earned a contract with the annual Basketball Tour. During his journey as a street bowler, Grayson went through a spiritual transformation, becoming a devoted Christian. This has given him firsthand experience on finding identity outside of basketball. At 18 years old, you basically went from playing in and around Salem to playing nationwide in front of large audiences and on national TV on a certain level, this kind of compares to what kids go through now with Instagram success or Instagram fame. So where maybe they're playing local and then all of a sudden they blow up and they got a million followers on Instagram to a certain level, not quite to the same level you had. How did this affect you as a person off the basketball court and what kind of warnings can you give to players who are suddenly gaining notoriety?
1: Yeah, that's a great parallel actually you gave to me. It reminds me of the ball is life generation. Like, uh, <clears throat> you know, kids are famous in high school now, like you said, blow up on Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, definitely changes life for them very quickly. But yeah, same thing with me. I think, uh, I think that, <clears throat> you know, for me, when I first got the one contract and got a lot of coverage on ESPN, uh, on one hand, it was very exciting because, you know, my whole life I wanted to play professional basketball um but then at a certain point it's like i fell in love with entertaining people with the game mm-hmm. i found i actually like that even better so to do that on the highest stage at the time you know tv show on espn it was on what four or five times a week yeah um i was ecstatic you know family was happy friends were happy um <laughs> yeah so yeah it was great you know but life was going a million miles an hour we're traveling more than half the year um You know, everywhere I went, people recognized me. You know, want pictures, autographs, whatever. Um, So, so on one hand, it was, was, I felt accomplished, it was great. And then I think that on the other hand, just like some of these kids that are, uh, like you said, blowing up while they're in high school, I think that you can be very proud, but too, too proud. (laughs) And yeah, I would say there's, there's definitely an aspect of that with me to where. you know there was a sort of an arrogance that comes with that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and then that and then what actually built onto that was the fact that when you like go play pickleball or try to do regular stuff that you wanted to do before either people will either try to test you because it's always going to be like naysayers or whatever Mm -hmm. and so then you know sometimes i wouldn't resort into the the best character aspects in those situations (laughs) and then um yeah just from an ego standpoint things can become very inflated very easily so that's kind of what i was going through if i was to give advice uh to the youth or people in that same position man it's really hard when you're when you're you to be you know grounded like that yeah i would say for you know for people that are in christ or kids that are raised in a christian home um that you you know you always want to uh you know cling to christ you know coming up regardless of the situation yeah. whether fame comes along with it or not mm-hmm. and just know that uh that's where your identity needs to be centered out uh outside of just basketball or some fame on instagram or, or your girlfriend or, or, or whatever that may be um but one thing i know is it was it was so hard for me that young to to really see it for what it was like big picture you know what i mean And I think that's hard for a lot of times people who have celebrity or fame is to view themselves from uh, the viewer standpoint, you know, from outside their their inner circle when they live it. So for me, I had no concept of that. You know, for me, it was just everything was my world, and I didn't look at it from a big picture standpoint nor a character standpoint. That never crossed my radar. You know, Mm -hmm. at certain points, I would say. <clears throat> from a worldview standpoint, I'd say, "Hey, it's important to be a good person, da, 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 da. but did I really know what that means? Mm-hmm. Did I have any idea of what true humility looked like? No. Um, so for me, it was very hard to even if I had received some good advice, like to put that into practice would have been tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
0: went from watching the n one players, you know they were heroes to us. Mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, those are your peers. Yeah what was the result of this in regards to shaping your identity mm-hmm. you know who you were when you were still you know trying to get minutes at up to now all of a sudden you got an one contract people asking for your autograph what did this do to your identity as a person
1: um yeah so f- from an identity standpoint I was very influenced by my teammates um as you would like yes. you say you know it's 18 years old uh playing with guys who you idolize who are in their late 20s or early 30s most of the guys on the team uh, were about 10 years older than me and I was trying to live hand in hand with how they lived their lives which was late nights you know what I mean definitely hanging out hitting the club often um, on the road you're trying to get girls to take advantage of situations um, spending months spending habits became their spending habits <laughs> Uh, you know I think at one point I had like three cell phones <laughs> it was more of a start. I remember when you came back once you had the yeah. cell phone group like what? <laughs> Yeah, what yeah unnecessary stuff but <clears throat> but yeah I think I think that would happen to anybody in that in that uh, if they were in that situation um, so yeah so I think from a character standpoint his influence for the worst on a lot of levels um, some of the guys some of the guys would try to keep me grounded but uh, or people you know internally in that Mm -hmm. situation but I wasn't in a place where I was really trying to take any advice or receive mentorship so um, so that's kind of where things stood but it it was like a wave it's like everything was going so fast and it was such like a wave that I didn't even step back to like evaluate things hardly at all you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it was just a million miles an hour and I think like you said I was being shaped uh, as, you know, I was one of my teammates and, and really entrenched in the urban culture very heavily. And um, while I can say that it was a great time of my life, there definitely was some lessons to be learned. Totally. <laughs> totally. Later in your career, you went through a spiritual transformation. Mm-hmm. Tell
0: us about the events leading up to this and the moments after.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. So post and one you know, and one went off of ESPN late 2008 so the last the last tour we did like major tour we did was actually summer 2008 <clears throat> and then i think that i want to say like we went to dubai or something like that and then uh i want to say that i don't know if Anwan one was sold again but it had got bought out even the current day it's been bought out like six or seven times but whatever it was they went a whole different direction there was no more and one mixtape tour and they strictly marketed the NBA. And uh, all of a sudden it was like there's no gig. And we had got paid a lot, especially like the last three years in N one. Everybody was making, you know, six figures or, or higher. From the last guy on the team mm-hmm. to the top most marketable six figures or higher. I remember a couple of those last years I brought in like half a million dollars wow. just for the just for one year. Or excuse me, just yeah, just for the year duration. And um you look at it like money was endless you know what i mean so that's that's literally how i viewed it as a you know kid in his young 20s so when the when the funds got cut off and things ended it was a little alarming i had i luckily i did have some money saved up mm-hmm. but i actually spent it all fairly fast and got to a point where i was actually close to broke i never went broke to where i was like homeless or something or having to call friends for help but i got to a point where I remember thinking like how am i gonna pay next month's rent like i don't know what i'm gonna do <laughs> and it was funny too because i actually told very few people this but i had saved all my and one jerseys and there was probably like a hundred and so i had a hundred and some jerseys in a box and i don't even know why i kept them <laughs> i think i kept them like just thinking they would be a keepsake for later or something but i remember that i didn't realize i'd kept that many but i remember i sold all my jerseys on ebay firsthand and these things were flying off the shelves, like three, $400. I remember I saw one <laughs> expensive, it was like $600. Dang. And it was funny too, because they were going all over the world, China, Japan, Europe, South America, even some people were like local, like right up the street, <laughs> swinging them on eBay. So I remember I, I survived off my jerseys for like eight months or something like that, to the point where I was able to sustain for a good while. And then came along, um, a lady who was doing independent games mm-hmm. and so we did independent games like all the world just random streetball exhibition games then by about 2010 I had introduced her to the people who were still in m one that were there when I when I was still there and they gave us the rights to use the the image and logo so then in 2010 we did some An one games uh, worldwide but it was nowhere near the same as like when we were yeah. on contractors on the TV show it wasn't the same and to be honest, it was really, it was hard because we you know, it was like a check-to-check check situation, you know. You do a couple events, you know, one month, and then it might be like two or three months until the next round of events. So it was like hard, you know, to make ends meet. And that was a, definitely a humbling time in life because, you know, being, you know, at the forefront of the, the b-ball world on ESPN all the time to just nothing overnight, mm-hmm. it's tough. And then it's also... A humbling situation when you uh have to talk to people in the street i remember for a long time people were like hey uh you still do that b-ball thing like <laughs> like they'll forget quick and this was just like one year out like late 2009 2010 people would ask me all the time are you still doing that one the and one thing or whatever that was or just not in it just oh, that quick like nobody would even recognize me hardly a lot of times and to me today like, i don't even care but back then it was like if yeah. you were used to that it was sort of weird and uh, it can do stuff to your head mentally. But <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, come 2011, there was another opportunity for a tour to start up that was, you know, similar to An One. They wanted to call it Ball Up. And uh, we were running um, marketing for it during All-Star Weekend 2011 out in L.A. And my closest friend through this whole And One Ball Up thing was Escalate. And uh, for anybody who knows Escalade, he was, or doesn't know Escalade, he was 6'9. He weighed about 450 pounds, probably. As um, much as an Escalade. As much as, <laughs> Dane as much as an Escalade, but he was extremely talented, incredible player. He's actually the brother of uh, Mark Jackson, the analyst, uh, ex NBA player. So, anyway, uh, Escalade was my closest friend. We were out there marketing the ball up in LA, All Star weekend. And, uh, I remember one night we were about to go out, we were supposed to go to a club and hang and I remember calling him and he wasn't answering. And usually escalate, he was dude, you call, he'd pick up quick. And I kept calling, kept calling. And then I realized like, yeah he's probably just tired. You know, I'm gonna let him rest. But that next morning we had to be in the lobby like eight or nine for a clinic that we had going on. At a boys and girls club i think in inner la somewhere like inglewood or something and chris brown was supposed to be there who was actually a good friend of Escalade's, so we were supposed to do this clinic next day and i knew he would be there for that so i was like i'll let him rest next morning comes around lobby call he's not down there so nobody knows what's going on in my mind i'm like i oh, probably slept you know dude was tired we had partied all weekend so i just thought you know he just needed his rest but we got to the clinic we went ahead worked with the kids, did all that stuff, and then afterwards, they kind of like pulled us aside and uh, told us that uh, Escalade had passed away. And you know, for me, I was distraught because that was my closest friend at the time. And uh, I mean, literally, he was he was somebody i talked to several times a day, just because when you're on tour with somebody like more than half the year, mm-hmm. that's sort of like your family away from family, you know? And uh, we would still talk all the time. Even we were at the house, and he was in New York, and I was in Oregon or California. So, um, anyway, he passed away. I was distraught, and I remember uh, for the first time in my life, I started asking myself the big, the bigger questions. You know, um, just looking at our career span up until that point, I was thinking, like, man, is is there more purpose? Like, are we just supposed to go around the world and entertain people, make them laugh, and and then that's it? You know, at the end of the day, because I looked at Escalade's life go by from. From uh, start to finish, and I just kind of like looked at his legacy, and I was like, wow, so I guess that's just life, you know what I mean? Like, it just happens. And and it forced me to really step back and look at things from a, a bigger perspective, but then like ask myself about purpose. And you know, and then when I went to the funeral, uh, Mark, you know, the, his brother who's an animal, is actually a preacher too, so he was preaching at the funeral and he was talking about Christ. And I remember I had heard all these things about Christ because uh, I went to a Christian preschool. And then also at Salem Academy. Mm -hmm. So I was being reminded of a lot of things I had heard, you know, back in those times. But um, he was talking about how Escalade actually gave his life to Christ like a year before that, which I had no idea. So that was shocking. And then uh, I remember it, it was a very heartbreaking, emotional time, like funeral service. So he gave an altar call at the end and i remember going up to the altar call not even hardly giving any thought of, like just doing it like hey you know <laughs> you want it because i remember the way he worded it mark worded like you want to be where Escalades at one day you know what i mean that's the only way is through christ and so when he gave that altar call, i think half the people went up there you know what i mean but that was the first time i gave my life to christ and then uh, later i believe i actually like you know fully really repented like heartfelt that's sort of good. like owned owned the faith And then, um, from then God just really started to give me wider perspective and, and fully like transform me from the inside out and, um, really just show me like, like, you know, what an identity in Christ actually looks like. Um, I was able to see like how other people perceive myself too. I was able to, for the first time, kind of like step out, like I say, step outside of the situation and view myself third party. And then, um. Just, you know, I just allowed God to like change my character and uh, fully just you know, was centered in Christ for the first time and then just um, just changed every aspect of my life from then on out. So, <clears throat> by the time uh, all this stuff had happened, it was uh, what was it about the summer of 2011, and then um, from then on out, you know, I, I realized that He gave me basketball as a gift. And I could use that to either glorify myself or him. So now everything I do is really just centered in trying to trying to glorify Christ.
0: That's a real powerful story. And I remember hearing that story from uh, Landon, your brother. Okay. And yeah. and that was a big part of kind of my internal change too. Oh wow! Because I always identified as a Christian, went to church, you know, yeah, read the Bible time to time, tried uh-huh. to be a good person. Yeah. But when you're not, you know, immersed in the Word. Mm-hmm you're not fully understanding why you're doing the things you're doing totally and that was a big part of me kind of questioning my devotion and understanding it takes more than just going to church on sunday it takes more than just trying to be nice to people it's a real it's a real hard thing so (coughs) i remember that that story really touched me it still does today too but that was a big part of me kind of reevaluating why I why I, I coach basketball, mm-hmm. you know, why I'm involved in the in lives of youth. So mm-hmm. that's a very powerful story.
1: That's interesting, too, yeah, because <clears throat> um, your story, like, I, I do. I remember you were always – you always stayed out of trouble. You were always different than a lot of – like, you went to bed early. You got <laughs> up early. Like you said, you read the Bible. You know, you were – and I, you could see that uh, fruit in your life, but it's interesting how you even say for yourself, it's like maybe you weren't fully centered in Christ, mm-hmm. even though you try to march by some of those beats. And I think a lot of people can learn from that, or could take from that uh, situation and story as well, because there's so many people that talk about Christ or, or would say that they're Christian identify with the faith, but not actually fully centered in Christ. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I see it daily, you know, in the sports world entertainment you know it's uh yeah it's just a different dynamic from like you know talking about christ and claiming the faith and actually being like centered in him totally so it's just yeah it's interesting i remember when that happened for me there was a lot of things i had to let go of
0: Mm -hmm. i didn't have to but i realized they probably wouldn't draw me closer to jesus Mm -hmm. if i continued doing them what are some things you noticed whether it's in your daily habits uh whether it's in the way you know, you prepared for games or you interacted with teammates and fans. What are some things that you noticed really changed in your life and that maybe caused other people
1: to look at you and say, man, Grayson is different? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh Number one for me was uh, just being removed from the party scene. You know what I mean? Uh, first and foremost, what I realized is, you know, if we're talking about going to the club, you know, any activity I was ever affiliated with that uh, didn't honor Christ. You know what I mean? And. You know, part of that also kept me around different people because, you know, if you're not partying or hanging no more, some of those people aren't going to want to hang with you by mm-hmm. default. So, moving out from my life, uh, never drank alcohol since then. Wow. Um, yeah, never never a day since then. Um, I started hanging around Christians, uh, keeping Christians as my close friends. So, I actually got a whole new set of friends. That was a huge part of me because. You know, being with like-minded people, you know, is going to help you to grow. Like the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. So so being around Christians full-time was a big thing. And uh, I remember I actually moved. I actually was living in inner L.A. I was, like, in Santa Monica. And where I was at, I was around mostly, like, people in the industry and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I had some cool friends. Like, my roommate was cool people and certain people. But I remember moving to, like, the valley in L.A., like, near the church that I went to. And then started hanging up. This just like changing my environment and my surroundings was really big, because um, a lot of times people try to change their sur- surroundings uh, for the good of their situation, but they don't realize if your own personal habits and your strifes are the same, like it's gonna be the same. Mm-hmm. But for me, my my strife was to you know be more centered in Christ and be around like-minded people and grow. So that was great for me. Um, what other things were there? Just. I mean, daily habit wise, you, know, you talk about reading the Word daily. Mm-hmm. Um, you could talk about, you know, going to church on Sundays. Um, you know, really just being in a, in a state of mind where I'm just focused on growth and um, cutting certain things out. Yeah, it was huge. How did your teammates take
0: to it? Because you still play with a lot of the same guys, you know, today yeah. that 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 are still around from when you were there. Mm-hmm. How did your teammates take to it? What were their interactions like you know, before versus after?
1: Hmm. Um. yeah you know I think at first they were l- a little surprised but uh, they they respected it because a lot of them you know a lot of people in the black culture are familiar with church you know what I mean and, and they know of Christ even if they're not centered in him or, or truly know what it is to walk with Christ like there's some familiarity there so when they found out I didn't do XYZ because I was in Christ now um, I think a lot, a lot, of them actually respected it, as opposed to were against it, because I think they would know what comes with the faith, and they would say, "Hey, that would be most honorable, even though I choose to, you know, go this other mm-hmm. way or do this or whatever the case may be." Um, so yeah, so a lot of them, you know, once it was established that I was a Christian and I didn't party or go get, you know, try get chicks on the road or uh, you know drink, smoke, whatever the case, then they just left it alone. So a lot of times I didn't get reached out to. But I would still mix it up with them and let them know, you know, still had love for him, still a friend. And, uh, you know, that continues to be our relationship. But it, it was always respect, to be honest. It's
0: been almost 15 years now since you become the professor. How have your views on basketball changed? Not just playing, but mm-hmm. mostly your approach to the game. Maybe your approach to competitiveness. Mm-hmm and maybe the reason
1: you play now mm-hmm. my approach changed uh, I just just with so much experience you know you continually look at the game differently the older you get but I think my, my focus now I think now I can see that God had wanted me to entertain people with the game of basketball as opposed to play the conventional way um, because that way I think when I'm, when I'm on a court it's always pitted as like an underdog situation or the you know the hype of my ball handling can be used to inspire people more. So I'm always focused more on entertainment now. Like I don't even play if it's a situation where I can't just like if the camera's not on and we're not trying to <laughs> try to uh, you know inspire the people and wow the crowds. Like I don't even want to do it. <laughs> so so I'm more I'm way more focused on, from an entertainment aspect mm-hmm. than I am with anything. I think, um, but I do take joy in also uh, you know teaching people the game. And, and starting with the fundamentals it's interesting too because I still say this today but like the better the better I am fundamentally like the, the easier it is to put mm-hmm. on a show basketball those two things play hand in hand so the way I approach a game is also just like basketball like I don't uh, per, for me personally I never really separated streetball and basketball that much because what I realized is when I started playing on hand one and getting in the streetball world the people who were at the most elite level were just great basketball players mm-hmm. like they may have had some outstanding aspect of their game that kept them from like the highest level to NBA but that's not to say like they weren't still killing like the pro am circuit or wherever you go, even mm-hmm. in wild crowds. I played with some of the best athletes ever to play a game. So um so it's interesting. I I really do just approach it as a basketball game and it's still like bucket first, even though I'm trying to entertain you mm-hmm. along the way. Um what was it? Sorry, what was it? Oh the other one was uh competitiveness. Oh, competitiveness. Um, you know, that's something I've even mean, still struggle with today, you know, it's like you know, being who I am, people always are trying to like test me, you know. Like mm-hmm. anytime I go play pickup ball, you know, somebody wants to, to get their strikes or, or try to get a name for themselves. So I've I've tried to slowly just learn to embrace that and then try to show them love and respect, even though uh, it gets pretty heated during the game. <laughs> and, you uh, know, sometimes I like to talk a little bit, but I keep it I try to keep it very sarcastic and friendly as opposed to Personal and distasteful, which mm-hmm. I had done in the past. You know, even in Christ, sometimes I get a little rowdy on the court, mm-hmm. and then I could come away from the situation and be like, "Dang, that wasn't the most Christ honoring situation." So I try to to approach it as, a, you know, warrior on the court, but friend to the people. So I like that. I, I considered that doing a book someday called "Warrior on the Court, but Friend to the People." Um, so yeah, and, and basically what that is, just you know, I think I think what God gives you the gift and. <clears throat> of something you know in athletics, it's like you still gotta play the game fierce, and be a warrior within the confinements of the game, but uh, know that it's all love and respect, um, even within the game, not just after. You know, it's, it's just still respect. So uh, that's something I'm always striving to even get better on today. It's time for the three
0: point play, three questions putting our guest on the spot. Here we go.
1: What's one book
0: every athlete needs
1: to read? Every athlete, I think, definitely the Bible. Um, it may sound generic in answer, but I think that, uh, you know, for me, getting to know God like taught me so much about, uh, you know, the gift that I have that applied to, you know, the game, which would be entertaining people with the game. So I think that although the Bible is not a sports book, it's a book about life and everything else. So when you weigh that into whatever your talent or your gift is athletically, there's a lot to be learned. What's the first thing an athlete should do when they wake up in the morning? Um, I usually, if my best days, I'm starting, I'm starting the day in prayer, you know. Uh, and I can say my worst days, I'm rushing out the door trying to get ready to go somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> I what I would recommend is start it in prayer, um, get into the Word, or even if you didn't have as much time as you'd like, then you know at least read like a devotional or something. Um, if I'm more in tune with God from the morning, from the day of. I'm gonna be so much more spiritually focused throughout the day. I think the way we're wired as humans is like we just forget stuff fast. You know, you can forget that like you're supposed to be centered in Christ and your mission is to be a light for Him. You know, wake up in the morning, you can forget that quick. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, the the busyness throughout the day, yeah. uh, the social media. Wake up to your phone. Wake you up know. to your phone. Throw up Instagrams first thing you get up. You know, I've been guilty of that, of course. But <laughs> I think that yeah, being grounded in the Word and in prayer. Um, first thing in the morning is gonna set you right uh, spiritually, and if you want to walk in uh, in God's will for your life, like you need to learn to train yourself to do that. I would say the last
0: thing an athlete should do before they go to bed. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, um, last thing, you know, I, I actually tend to like to just like reflect on the day. You know, um, let's we'll see what we got done today. You know whether it's business whether it's you know spiritually uh anything but i would say i'm usually in reflection mode and then um you know if i don't i, I don't always end the day in the word again but you know I'll end at least in prayer and uh you know just thank god for the day for the opportunities um you know for whatever you know blessings and uh you know and even trials or hard times but um yeah, for me going, you know, waking up in prayer and then going to bed in prayer for me, just if you talk about not only just walking what God, God has for you, but just for a mental peace, that was always greatest for me. You know, even I get the best rest when I'm like that too. So that's why I recommend even
0: The Players Podcast is brought to you by the Salem Hoops Project. The Salem Hoops Project provides free basketball training to boys and girls in Salem, Oregon. It's our firm conviction that no child should be limited in athletic opportunities because of financial restraints. Connect with us more on Instagram at Salem Hoops Project or visit SalemHooopsProject.org to learn more about our organization.